Well, we've got a lot of help moving, and I appreciate it. We moved from Liberty to Blue Springs this last week. We've kind of been moving for two weeks because we, we closed both houses on the same day, so we had to move our things into a bunch of trailers. We had five trailers, and we had a lot of help, and I appreciate all of you who helped and either packing or un- unloading. And I mean, there was just a lot of hands helping and making light work. But right now, Nicole has already almost unpacked every single box. I think there might be two or three left. So that means that our garage is completely... You can give her a hand, I guess. That's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, our garage is full of boxes. They're just... I'm, I'm breaking them down slowly. I just haven't been able to cap, keep up with her. It's just amazing. So anybody need any boxes, by the way? I mean, I hate to just recycle all that, but... Anyway, I see some hands. You have to talk to me quick because I'm not going to leave them there very long. It's gonna, they're going to move out. But, you know, I thought about this as we were kind of unloading and then talking about where we wanted to put things. And, and maybe you've thought of this too. And, and I know everybody's a little different in the way they, they organize their home. And I used to work for an electrician years ago. And so I used to go into a lot of homes, you know, that weren't mine. And you can tell a lot by, a, by people. And you can almost tell their lifestyle by the way they arrange their furniture. Have you noticed that? Anybody? I mean, I've walked into houses where you can tell it's college guys because all that matters is kind of the altar to the game system. You can see that. You know, the TV's the best quality and everything, you know, high def and, and hi-fi. Anybody know what hi-fi is anymore? And uh, all of that. And you can, you can just tell. I mean, that's what people are about. You know, and you see some people in their homes, they intentionally do not have a TV in the living room. And I know for some of us, you know, you walk in, you think, oh, I wonder where the TV is. Well, it's because they don't watch it. Like that's, they want to, they want to emphasize relationship and conversation. And so the TV is de-emphasized where then you go into, you know, I know, um, <laughs> I hope I don't embarrass Roger, but Roger has the coolest man cave basement. I know he, uh, he had us over a bunch of us years ago for like Monday night football and uh, we went over there, and I was just amazed. You know, you got the monster TV and all the sports stuff, and it's just a really cool. I mean, that's you can just tell. You can tell what people value, what they mat, what matters, and what they're trying to emphasize or de-emphasize by the way that they decorate and the way they arrange things. So we've been talking about that as we move into our house. But maybe you've never thought of this, but you can tell the same thing about a church. And as we talk about the values and what matters to this church, you can tell by the way we arrange things. And I titled this sermon, if you're following along, and you can, if you use version, I recommend it, but if you do use version, you can search for a live event under our zip code. The zip code here at the church is 64064. We chose, we kind of designed that so it'd be easy to remember. And you can check that out, and you can follow along in your notes. Someone was telling me earlier today that their mom, and this was not a young, this wasn't a teenager, but their mom got on to them for being on their phone during church. They said, were you checking Facebook during church? And she said, no, I was following the sermon. And then, anyway, you can do that. And you can take your own notes. You can save it. You can do whatever. It's all in there. But like I said, you can tell what a church is about. You can tell. You know, and you, you who've been here for a while, you know that our mission is to love God and love others. And we see that as really the basic definition of what all Christianity is really about. Loving God and then loving others. And it's, it, we break it down then further, and you've seen the pictures in the lobby that, that describe our vision, which is go, connect, grow. But what we're talking about in this series, this, this big six series, is our values, what we value as a church. We talked last week about the fact that, we, that everybody matters to God and everybody matters to us. And we want to arrange our ministries and everything that we do here to communicate that. And then I titled the sermon today, 
on, on version. I titled it that the, the uh, sermon starts at the street. And I'm going to get into that and tell you kind of what I'm talking about. And, and hopefully you'll follow me here just like you would if you're walking into somebody's house and you can tell what matters to them by what they put up and where they put it. But really, sermons here and the whole service, it doesn't even start there. It actually starts weeks before that. We start our services, all of these services that you come to, every single one is bathed in prayer. And it's been, we've been praying about this service for a long time, praying about the direction of this service, where we want it to go, what we want it to be about. This church is about prayer. Prayer, your life should be about prayer. Prayer should be a central focus in your life. And we start praying about this service and deciding where we want to go, what God's direction would be for this service. What I never want to do is have a church or be a church that was all man-directed and just good ideas. You know, God does give men good ideas. Some of the ladies are saying, wait a minute, really? Now, I, I mean, <laughs> it does happen. It can happen. I remember once I was talking, to, I was somewhere, and somebody said, you know what the Bible says about that? It says, God is not a man that he should lie. Did you catch that? Yeah. Men lie, and anyway. Um, the fact is, men do have good ideas once in a while, but that's not it. That's not the end. We don't want it to be driven or directed by that, because the fact is, God does have a plan for this church. He has a direction for the church. Not only that, he has a, a vision and a mission and a, and, a, and a desire for us to fulfill. When the disciples ask him, Lord, how should we pray? One of the things he said to them and what we call the Lord's Prayer is really kind of the disciples' prayer, but what he told them to pray is, pray that my will be done. You know what that implies? His will is not always being done. And we want to pray that his will is done, and then we want to be part of his will being done. You know what his will is? Jesus laid it out there. He laid it out there so plain and clear, and that is he came into the world to save sinners. He wants to see people in relationship with himself, and that is our mission. The Great Commission, before he left the earth, one of the last things he told them is, go into all the world and make disciples. Start here in Jerusalem and then spread out into the whole world. That is his mission. It needs to be our mission to reach people for Christ. So when we pray about these services, that is on our mind. What can we do in this service and what do we need to do to reach and fulfill his mission? And how can we design this service to accomplish that task? If we're not doing that, then we're not doing what he's called us to do. Now, we know, of course, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is speaking to people's hearts constantly. Don't ever get the idea that it's all your job to win people to Christ because he wants them saved way more than you do. And he knows them and he died for them and he is speaking to them. Some people are kind of difficult to reach and no one thinks that one sermon or one service is going to change somebody's life. It may take multiple services or sermons. For some, some people, it's just getting them here, getting them in the door, and then let God start to work on them. And it may be, I love how the Holy Spirit does this because so many times I've preached and someone will come up and they'll say, man, when you said this, it just, it really spoke to me, thinking, I don't think I said that. In fact, I know it's not in my notes. Now, there's times where God will drop thoughts in my head that I'll say, but then I have done this before. I've actually gone through and listened to a tape and thought, I never said that. I didn't do that. And that's good, because what is happening is the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us. God has things he wants to communicate, and thankfully, it's not all on our shoulders to make it happen, but we do plan and direct and try and work so hard to make sure that we're doing what he wants us to do. But God's the one that brings the, the increase. We just have to be faithful. 
So like I said, we meet weeks ahead of time and we're planning and we're listening and we're praying and, and we're strategizing and we want certain things to be directed in a service. Nothing, nothing that happens is haphazard or, or by mistake. You may notice we start on time here at church. Have you noticed that? <laughs> hey Amen. I appreciate that. Uh, you know what's funny about that is different cultures are different. And, and even in different homes, it's different. My mom is going to listen to this sermon later today. And she said when she was here, she was kind of embarrassed. She was thinking, I hope people don't think I mean. I'm, I can't believe you told everybody I made you eat soap. Remember I mentioned that a few weeks ago? And that's what she was worried about when she was here for the commissioning service, that people were going to think she was mean. I said, oh, mom. I said, I had everybody raise their hand who ate soap as a kid. I mean, a lot of people did. It wasn't like, it didn't hurt me. I needed to clean up my mouth. I was, I was mean to my sister. I know it. I needed to change that. But... Uh, <laughs> With that in mind, though, I think about, you know, there's times where she would say things. She was my first theologian. You know, the things that she would say would, would really sink into my mind. But, and I apologize, Mom, for telling on you here. But she was, always, she was late a lot. Let me just say it that way. And that bothered me as a kid. I didn't like being late. I wanted to be on time. So for me, in my mind, five minutes ahead is on time. On time is late. That's just me. And, and you don't have to hold to that. That's me. I know that's me. That's my issue. But I've worked in and, and been involved in other cultures where it's not about that. It's not about the time and being on time. It's about, you know, when they get there is when the party starts. And when they get there is when the event happens and the event lasts as long as it lasts. And then for those of us who are more time oriented, you know, I keep thinking, all right, they said it was an hour and a half, but it's like two and a half hours and it's not even close to being over. But I just want you to know that when we plan a service, we plan for it to not only start on time, but we do have an ending time in mind. Now, if, if the Holy Spirit moves and we feel like that's where God is going, I'm excited about that. I've been in services, some of my favorite services are when I didn't actually preach, but the worship just kept going because God was moving in worship. And I've told Nick, Pastor Nick, that if he is sensing God moving in that direction, I'm excited for that. That'd be fantastic. We would be really happy to see that happen. But as I mentioned earlier, and it's the title of the sermon, the sermon starts at the street. Here's what I mean by that. It starts the moment people drive up onto the grounds. Studies have shown that people coming into a church, most of them make a decision within the first two minutes. You can't even park your car in two minutes. You know what they're deciding? They're deciding, hey, does this property look like, here's what they're really doing. Does it look as nice as my house? Because if I take more care of my property than they do, then I care more than they do and they don't care and they probably don't care about other things. So that's why it's so important. That's why I'm so grateful for those who, you know, come and pull weeds. And, and I'm grateful for Gordon, you know, managing our lawn care. And I'm grateful for all of that because it communicates the things as people walk up onto this campus and drive up here. We've had so many people recently because we're hosting this Discovery Homeschool Association. People who've never been on the property, but they've driven by and they've said, I've always wondered what it was. It looks so beautiful. And I, I thought it might be a church because they're driving by and they're just staring up at the grounds, not reading the signs out front. And that's fine but we're communicating something to them. Someone's heart who needs to hear the sermon part is starting to get the sermon right when they pull up on the grounds. And then as they walk in and they see that, that, um, you know, they have visitors greet them or or, our greeters greet them and are kind to them. I'm so thankful for, um, for Greg and Mindy and all the work they do and all of you who greet. So important that they are welcomed by someone who's friendly and knowledgeable, and if they have a question, and that there's signage that, that tells them where to go. Do you, do you remember your first time here or anywhere? I mean, you go someplace for the first time, and you're just kind of looking around, and 
trying to get the lay of the land and where are the bathrooms. That matters. That's important to people. And I know you're starting to think, how does that have to do with a sermon? Well, here's what it has to do with the sermon, because if somebody's, somebody's confused and disgruntled about that, their heart's not going to be ready to hear when they sit in the seat. It's not going to happen. It starts way out there. There's a great book called um, uh, Jim, and I can't forget the other guy's names. Jim and somebody go to church. What happened was this pastor's name was Jim. He pastored a small church. And does anybody remember the whole idea of secret shoppers? Well, do you remember the atheist who sold his soul on eBay? Does anybody remember that? Okay, that guy, the pastor hired him to go with him to check out churches. And he just wanted that guy to give him his honest response. So they wrote a book about it. And they they visited all kinds of churches, mainline churches, Pentecostal churches. They visited Lakewood down in Houston. They visited a lot of churches you've heard of, Saddleback, all sorts of churches. And then they both wrote their, their kind of their impressions of the church. And the one thing I'll mention is this that just cracked me up. It was so funny because the atheist, at first he was really put off by the greeters because he said, they're only being nice to me because they're supposed to be. It says greeter right on their tag. So it's not like they mean it. It's all phony and fake. And then he was at one of these bigger churches. And when they went and sat down, he said, well, good. I'm glad we avoided the greeters. But when they sat down, the people all around the seats were greeting him and were nice to him. You know what that did? It started to break down his walls. You know what that was? That was a sermon before the sermon. Because he was going to listen because he saw some authenticity in the people in the seats. Because it matters. All of that stuff matters. And then when you come in and it's clean and it's neat and, and the kids area is inviting and you, you feel safe dropping off your kids and the people that are there are kind to you. And, and if you've been there maybe two times, they might remember your name. All of that is a sermon before the sermon. All of it matters. All of that has been bathed in prayer before we even start a church. We pray for you people. We pray for every one of you leaders, everybody who is working in this church, because it all leads to a huge, important, important purpose. When you walk in the auditorium, <laughs> oh, Mary, where's Mary Pounton? Mary and I have this, she's ducking right now. We have this ongoing thing because. The heat and cool matters in the church. It matters. It matters. And she thinks it doesn't matter to me. She thinks I turn it on cold on purpose because I like it cooler. And that is not true, Mary. But it does matter. No, it matters. It matters. I'm kind of kidding with her, but it matters because if somebody thinks, they come in and they think, oh, this is uncomfortable, that's a sermon and they're not going to, if they already are looking for a reason not to come back, they're not going to come back because of that. We don't want that or something like that to be a reason that somebody doesn't, doesn't come in here. We want it clean and neat. We want the focus on the front. And some of you have mentioned, hey, this screen is more dim than this one. We know. We're working on that. And we've been working on it. And these projectors are, are as old as this facility. And the way projectors work, you know how industries work today. They've got this engineered obsolescence where they plan for you to buy new things. And we've had to, you know, Dave Holzel, thankfully, has been able to cannibalize and off other machines and fix this one over and over and over. And, uh, you know, if, he wasn't, if we didn't have that kind of technical savvy in the church. And so we are look, looking at upgrading these things, not because we care about the flash, It's because it's a sermon. It's all a sermon. And as people walk in and they think you don't care about that, then what else you don't not care about? And we do care. It all matters. It's all pointing to something. Everything like that matters. It all plays in. And then 
as Pastor Nick comes and leads worship, I know you see the excellence up here and you know that that matters to us because it matters to him and they practice and, and he has different musicians that play different, you know, different music and he has different ones solo on different parts and he puts that all together and if you knew the time that he spends working on it, I mean, there's times where it's fun to sneak up on him because he's so focused on his on you know worship. Either he's studying something, or or Nick, he's so talented he can write the music out, or he's he's arranging parts, or whatever it is that he's pouring into that because he's praying about that and he's seeking God. What what song should we do? And this you wouldn't know about unless you're involved in the music and the ministry and the media. But he came to me a few months ago and he just said, "I feel like." I need to pour more discipleship into our worship leaders. And he said, because they're leading in worship, but a lot of times as you're leading worship, you're not as engaged and you're not as worshiping the same because you're leading, you're focused on the music and whatnot. And he said, I really feel like we owe them and we need to develop them as as worshipers, not just worship leaders. So for the last few weeks and then the next few weeks, they're taking their normal worship practice and doing a discipleship series together. And they're deepening their relationship, their personal relationships with God so that they can be better worship leaders to lead you into a deeper relationship with God. Because that matters. All of that stuff matters. And that's part of the sermon. So many times as I'm sitting here and as Nick closed off worship today and he talked about that last worship song and the meaning there, there are so many times that God does work in our hearts during worship that he can't do during any other time. Because some of us are more wired that way. You know the old saying that um, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? You've heard that, right? That's not really true. Well, it's true for some of us, but it's not really true. What's really true is the way to a man's heart and a woman's heart is through their ears. There are messages, sermons that sneak in through good music. You don't even realize it. And you walk out and there's a, there's a phrase floating through your mind or you find yourself remembering or thinking about something that you sang and you think, I never read that anywhere. I never tried to memorize that. Because the way God has designed us, that music, music opens a door that nothing else opens, and it speaks to us in a way that other things don't speak to us. And that's why it's so important, and it, it's a sermon as well. It's a sermon before the sermon. And that's why as Nick prepares and he's praying and asking God, what do, we wanna, what do you want us to lead in worship today? All of that needs to happen. All of it needs to happen. We do announcements because we have to, because we need you to be at things, and sometimes it's easy to forget, and, and you know, even though Pam and Deborah pour so much time in the bulletin, I know there's times where they get left in the seats, or you forget, or they're sitting in your Bible, and, and, and of course we do announcements, but we don't, announcements are kind of part of the sermon, but you know, in a way it could be the tail wagging the dog, and we don't put a lot of emphasis in that, but then we talk about the sermon itself started weeks before. We've been working on this series for actually even longer than that and talking about how important it is and focusing on the fact that, yes, it starts at the street and it even starts weeks ahead and every single stop on the way till you're sitting here and hearing what we have to say, all of that matters. All of it's important. You know, we pray and ask God, what, what do you want to do in this service? Because these sermons we preach aren't just information. Is anybody else an information junkie? Any, you can be honest. I am. Anybody else? A few hands. Um, anybody like trivia? I know so many unimportant things. 
<laughs> and my wife, there's times where we're driving by and I'll, I'll be saying, oh, look at this and this is this. And I can look over. She has no idea what I'm thinking because it's just, it's not important. I just know it. I just, it sticks. I like it. It's interesting. And a lot of times a sermon can be like that. I'm, I, I could tell you things that you don't even care about. I mean, we could be looking at a portion of scripture and in my mind, even as I'm preaching, there's times where thoughts and things, I mean, I'll shoot back to Bible college even and something a professor said and, and you're, you're just thankful I don't tell you all those stupid things because <laughs> they don't matter. They're not that important. I mean, they feed into it, but it's not that a big a deal because that's not what the sermon's about. The sermon's about life change. It's about you changing. When I first started in the ministry, the church I worked at, uh, I interned at the church. And uh, as an intern, this older gentleman, I don't remember his name. I wish I could remember his name, but I could have, if I could have avoided him those first, you know, like maybe the second and third week, I would have, but I had to walk right by him. And here's why, because the first time I was preaching, he said, young man, have you heard from God? You know, I just looked at him like, I, I, I didn't really realize what he was talking about. And he goes, because I didn't come here to hear from you. just want you to know that. And I, I, th- I thought, oh, okay, thank you. And uh, as I'm walking in, you know, I'm like, you know how that happens where somebody says something to you, you know, it's way more significant than you picked up on first thought. And as I walked in, I was like, oh, wow, ouch. Okay, yeah, well, he's right. I'm so glad he used to say that to me. Because I think about that every week. Every single week. Because you don't really need to hear what I have to say. You need to hear what God has to say for you. You realize he's speaking to you all the time? All the time. All the time. All the time. As you drive up on the property, as you greet each other, as you share maybe something he's done in your life, as you're listening and singing these worship songs, not just in a sermon, but he's speaking to you all the time. It matters. It's important. We don't take any of this lightly. When we stand up here, this is a huge, huge burden. Did I hear from God this week? I don't stand here unless I did because that man's voice rings in my head. Didn't come to hear from you. That's okay. I pray for wisdom and for his anointing every single Sunday, every single Wednesday. Every one of those matter. Sometimes, you know, it's easy for us as pastors to get kind of annoyed with evangelists, you know, because all they do, they have one sermon or three maybe all year long. And then they, every year they might work on a new one or something You're like, good job, man. I'm glad <laughs> we do that tw- twice a week, you know, but good for you. I'm, I'm playing. The truth is we have to hear from God or it doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. And as that, the word is the most important part of that. The most important part of that. I was actually a Bible major in college. That was, uh, my major was religion and my emphasis was, was uh, Bible. It is our guidebook for living, for everything we do. Years ago, someone, um, I, I heard someone speaking and they said this. And at first it caught me off guard. What they said was, the Bible is a spiritual, supernatural book. And the reason it caught me off guard is because a lot of times what I think of when I hear those words is something off the sci-fi channel. You know what I mean? I think it's something spooky and weird. Here's what's sad about that is we, we hold in our hands the actual real supernatural guidebook. 
It has the answers to life. It's living and breathing and real. And a lot of times we don't treat it that way and we don't think of it that way. And we think of some weird maybe TV show or a movie about some spiritual book or something. When we're the ones that have that book, that is it. And like you, I've got a bunch of Bibles and, and they're all amazing. And when I, when I stop and realize this book has the answers to life, Paul said it like this to Tim- Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It guides us. It guides us. It guides us. Peter said it this way. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. They spoke from God. All Scripture is God-guided. Now, I know some of you, you probably, maybe you've read this like in Time Magazine or heard it in college, or maybe you took a Bible as a literature course, and they told you that, that the Bible is just great literature, it's not supernatural. And maybe you struggle with that. And that's okay. And if you would love to, I would love to talk with you. Remember, I've got all those facts and statistics and things that don't matter all the time. I would love to, if you struggle with that, I would love to have an honest conversation with you. And we could sit down and I could tell you why I am positive it's a, it's a real inspired book. Some people have said, well, again, back to the men making mistakes thing. Yes, men make mistakes. But is it possible for a man... To, to not make, to do something and not mess it up? Is it? Only one woman said, yeah. Okay. Is it possible for men to do something and not make a mistake? I think we'd all say yes. It's possible. It's within the realm of possibility. Okay, but could you add the supernatural God of the universe to that? And if you add him to that, then men could actually put a book together, which was what God wanted us to hear. It's what he wanted for us to get from him. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not like you look up, well, hey, I've got a question about this, and there's, it's not that. It's a message. It's a message intended to tell us about his plan for salvation for us, and it's a message to tell us how to correct our lives and to change things. It's a God-guided book, and it's for you. Every part of it is for you. There's so many times where I'm reading scripture, and it's scriptures. I've said this before, but I've read it before, and it comes alive for the first time. And I think, I've read this before. How is it possible that right now I'm discovering something and I've been reading the Bible as an adult for many, many years? I've, I've taken classes. I mean, it's so goofy. You know, you take a whole class on a book of the Bible and then years later I read something and think, I don't think they ever mentioned that. But God is illuminating that to me now because I need that in my life. He's guiding me right through it. There's times where I'm reading something and I feel a conviction because I see in it, God, I am failing you right here, right now. Hebrews talks about it like this. In the book of Hebrews, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. That's the book I'm talking about. That book, there's nothing else like it. Yes, men can create great things, and we all know Shakespeare was a wordsmith, and yes, there's wonderful philosophers, and there's great things. 
But when I go to scripture, I get all of that. I get strength and inspiration. I get direction. I get hope. I get correction. I get examples on how to live. I get warnings. I get all of those things are there. There's nothing, nothing else like it. More people have bled and died for this book. More lives have been changed. You know, it was the first book printed on the movable printing press, and it's still to this date been printed more than any other book in existence. It's survived different, different dictators and different people trying to stamp it out. It's everywhere. Back in 92, I took a group of students to Siberia, to Russia, for a, a missions trip, and we went with the book, book of Hope. And what they do is they compile the Gospels into one story, and we would take it into the schools and universities, and we would talk about it, and they allowed us to pass this book out directly to the students and tell our testimonies. Then in the evenings, we would have crusades and fill up these ornate, just gorgeous theaters. And then the preacher would preach, and people would get saved. And afterward, people would talk to us. And one night in particular, we were walking back to our hotel, and it was dark, and there was about an inch of ice on everything. It was awesome. I love that. I can't wait for that this year. That'd be great. But we're walking back and we had, you know, I had all these high school students and then there were people with the rest of the tour, but there was this older man who was kind of following us. And at some point, I have to be honest, it got a little creepy. Like, what are you doing? Everybody kept staring at him and he would look away. It was really a weird experience. So finally, I just stopped, you know, and I just walked over to him and I said, sir, can we help you? Were you at the crusade? You know, you couldn't, I couldn't tell. And he said, Yes. And he spoke very broken English. And then he showed me, sorry, just got, showed me what he had in his hands. They were papers, they were pages of the book of John. They were whisker thin. They had been handed down to him by friends of his. That was the only Bible he had had for 30 years. And we handed him a Bible and he crumpled onto the ground right there in front of us and bawled. And talked about he didn't ever think he would ever have one for himself again. It was amazing. And we stood there and realized, I don't have this kind of respect for this book. I have 20, 30 of them. There's days I forget to read it sometimes. And he is cherishing these pages. He went on to tell us how they would raid Christians' homes and take the pages and tear them out because they made great cigarette rolling paper because it was so thin. And he said, these are the only three I could save. It's a powerful book. If you don't have a Bible that makes sense to you, that you want to read, there are so many good versions today. So many good versions I was raised on King James. Some of the, the scripture that I've memorized will always be King James version. But there are versions today that just flow well. I mean, I used the NIV for years and years and years. Now I use the New Living Translation almost exclusively because it flows even better. And it's a direct translation. There's so many good ones. If you do not have one that you... Like, there's times where you just don't read because it's cumbersome. But if, if, there, if you don't have a good version that you want to read... Talk to me, I'll buy you one. It's that important to me that you would have one and read it daily. I mention the YouVersion Bible app all the time. Uh, they should pay me. They don't. Um, 
I love that version. I love that because there's so much variety and it's so easy to use. And it's available to you on a computer, on a tablet, on a phone. It is available, whatever version you want. You can highlight in it. You can put notes in it. You can, you can have friends in it, which sounds weird, I know, if you're not familiar with kind of social media and how that works. There are multiple people who we are friends in the Bible app, and we keep track of each other and hold each other accountable to make sure they're reading their Bible reading for that day. There's times where, uh, you know, my kids, we've done this, where, you know, one of them will be doing a, a, a reading plan in the version, and I'll do the same one, and then we can talk about it. It's a great tool for discipleship with your friends and your family. I recommend it. If you do not have that, I can help you show you how to do it. Let me, let me move on. Got a little emotional there. Um, when I was raised in the Assemblies of God, there was a lot of the marquees in our churches. They used to say AG, and they'd have that little Bible that says, can you read that? What does it say? All the gospel. Because you may know this, but as a Christian, there's times where you have favorite places you go, right? Favorite scriptures, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the whole Bible is useful for us. Now, it's obviously different. I mean, there's different parts of it for different things, and some of it's poetry, and some of it's hyperbole, and some of it's history, but it's all useful, and it all teaches us. I just want you to know that as a church, we preach it all and only that. That's what we do. I was in a high school sociology class back when I worked at a church in L.A. I was there for 10 years and developed a relationship with this one school nearest us. And the high school sociology teacher would have me and a, and a local rabbi and a local priest. And we would come in uh, once a year, or well, twice a year, each semester. And we would do all the classes. It would be a long day. And basically what we were there for was for kids to ask any question they wanted about religion. Whatever. From our different perspectives, the three of us. And every year, no matter what, it would always come up. This was an interesting question. It would come up like this. If your church required you to teach or preach something you didn't believe, what would you do? Now, the rabbi, rabbis are amazing. I mean, they're so well-educated and such great orators. He would always do the big pregnant pause. He would say, well, and then just wait. <laughs> and you can see the kids starting to fidget, like, is he asleep? What's he? I mean, it's, it's such a clever technique. Then he'd say, that would never happen. And that would be his whole answer. And then they would be like, okay. Then the the priest would say, well, I would follow whatever the the church would direct. And then every time, I would just come back and say, well, here's the thing. As a Protestant, and specifically Assembly of God, we follow the scripture. And if our, if our, if our, not really a denomination, if our movement were to veer from Scripture, I would still have to follow Scripture. That's, that's what I follow. And it's amazing to see their faces. They just, I, don't, I don't think any one of those answers were really that satisfying for them because, because I think what they were looking for is to say, well, I follow what I think, what I believe. And what I was saying basically is, I believe what the Bible says. The priest would say, I believe what the church says. And the rabbi would say, that would never happen. <laughs> so that's just, it was just fun to watch how that, how that went, but... I mentioned this to you too, uh, those of you who are on Wednesday nights, I have a friend, he, was, he told me he did this, and then he showed me his Bible, I couldn't believe he did this, but uh, he said there were certain parts of the Bible that were offensive to him. And when he said that, I said, what do you mean offensive? And he goes, well, it just, it bothers me because either I can't follow it, or I just don't think it should be in there. So he would cut them out. Yeah, Christian guy. 
And uh, he had this Bible, and, and he showed it to me, and it, it looked comical. It looked almost like a spy book or something. We had little chunks missing, you know. And, you know, we, I laughed at him, and we talked about it, and you all laughed at him just now. But here's the thing. At least he was honest, right? Right? Because we do the same thing, don't we? There's parts that offend us or we don't like, and we just cut them. I mean, we figuratively cut them out. We just don't follow them. Or we don't hold them as close, or we hold other things above them, and we just, I mean, we don't, we're not as honest as him. Now, of course, that's offensive, and he cut up a Bible, and right, I get that. But he was honest. For us, we just don't do them and follow them. What I'm here to tell you today is it's a real living book, and he will speak to you through it if you will let him. If you will go to it and open your heart and mind, he will teach you things that no sermon could ever teach you. Nobody on TV, nobody on the radio. He has a point and wants to speak to you. All of these things we believe because God wants to change lives. Yours first and then others. That's what matters. If, if we weren't in the life change business, then all of this would be no, there'd be no point. The point is to change lives. People ask me sometimes what I do for a living. And I like, sometimes I like to goof around with them and but probably the best thing I've ever heard and the best thing I've ever said is, is you know, really what my job is, is, is I'm an attitude adjustment specialist. Or I've said this too, I'm a life change, um, life change specialist. And so people are always like, okay, what's that? And then as we talk about it, then they're like, oh, you're a preacher. Yeah, yeah. But that's the point. If we're not here to change and get better, what are we here for? That is the point. That's why we're here. That's why we take care of the lawn, and that's why we make sure the lobby's clean and the windows are clean. And we do all that because those are sermons that, that preach before you ever sit in the seat. And the reason prayer is so essential is because God, if it's not about him and him directed by him, then we don't want to do it. And it's all about that, and it's all about worship and giving him worship and letting him speak to us during that time in worship. It's an all about the word, and if we're not centered on the word, then none of that matters. So let me take you to this next step here. So what? Anytime you walk out of here, you can say to yourself what I write in every sermon, and that is, so what? Why are you here? What are you getting out of this? What are you going to walk out of this place with? Because if you don't walk out with something like that, now I know that there's times where you can walk out and say, well, maybe this was for Michael or Charlotte, or you might say that, or maybe you're nudging your wife through the sermon or the husband or whatever. But the fact is, as I'm preparing a sermon, I'm thinking about you guys in general, not individual, but I'm thinking, God, what do you want to tell them? What are they going to walk out with? So with that in mind, I'm going to give you a challenge before we go into the, the response of this. The first thing is this. I hope you come to church to get changed. Most of you probably never thought of that before. Most of you probably thought, or not most of you, but I know some of us come to maybe be entertained a little bit or to enjoy it or to hear some encouragement, and that's all good. But I want you to come prepared to get changed. You know what that's going to require from you? That means that you're going to pray about coming to church before you even get here. You know what that means? You don't come to church and you're not just a consumer. You're actually a participant and you come with the attitude knowing, hey, there's going to be something today that I might need to hear and learn. 
again with my mother, the theologian. I was sitting in church. I was right back over there in our little church in Sweetwater Assembly in National City, California. I was in sixth grade. And I remember, because I'm a dork like this, the preacher misquoted a verse. And I leaned over to my mom and I said, he didn't even get the verse right. And she leaned over to me and she said, if you will change your attitude, you can learn something from anybody. Now stop it and listen and see what God wants to say to you today. That was a long time ago. That was 42 years ago. And I've thought that a lot of times where I've sat there and thought, now I'm just, this is really maybe too honest. I've thought there, sat there and thought, oh, it should have been done this way or should have been done like that or I could have preached better or I would have said it like this. And I've heard those words ring in my head. And I've heard the Holy Spirit say, if you'll open up your mind, I've got something to teach you today. You could learn today. So you need to be ready to hear what the word is going to say. You need to get a Bible. And again, if you need one that you can read, I'll buy it for you personally, not the church, me. That's how important it is. The second thing is this. When you come into worship, I just want to challenge you. Open your heart to what the Lord is saying to you. You may not know the words because it may be a newer song that Pastor Nick is teaching us. You may, you may wish it was songs that you, you came, maybe you came of age and came to Christ at a certain time and it was a song that ministered to you and we just don't sing it anymore. But if you will come and open your heart to worship, God will change you. He will meet you here and he will speak to you. Could I have the worship team come back up? I didn't ask you guys if I could share this, but one of the first weeks I was here, we were doing one of those worship concerts here at the church, the rain down concerts. And I was, Pastor Newby had asked me to do the welcome from the church staff that day. So I was sitting maybe where, maybe where you are, Kristen, and it was so loud, I was in pain and I really wanted to move back. It was really, really loud. But you guys were sitting up right on the, I think you were right over here. And your arms were worshiping God, Patney Lane Jobs. And I looked over and I thought, here I am, kind of the old man wanting to put my fingers in my ear because it was too loud. And there's this couple worshiping with their whole hearts. And again, my mom's words rang in my ears and I thought, I need to have that heart. I need to open my heart and mind to what God is doing and what he is wanting to minister to me. And I would receive from him. And the last thing is, is this. I thought of Jeff Wilkie. I wrote down prayer. It works. Because it works. It works. It works. Every time I pray now, I say, this is maybe just where I'm at, but I pray, God, I need you so much. I need him. You need him. I want you to stand with me for a moment. If you would just do this for a second here, if you would just shut your eyes. I ask you to shut your eyes just because it just gives you a sense of privacy in a big crowd, but I'm going to ask you to make some commitments today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm just going to ask you to commit between you and God, but I want to know, I want you to make this commitment. Will you come with an open heart prepared to hear? Will you do that just between you and God? commit to him the next thing is maybe you like me have got 20 bibles but you haven't opened one lately will you commit to do that to open it and 
and ask him beforehand, God, what do you want to say to me in this today? What do you want to speak to me? Because he will speak to you through it. Will you commit to do that today? Will you commit to opening your heart in worship and when, when he comes to us in worship, that you would listen to what the Spirit is saying in your heart? The last thing is this. Will you cry out to him in prayer? Will you do that? I do want to open the, the altar here for prayer. I know there's at least one person who've asked us to pray for healing on their body today. And if you would like prayer for healing or anything else, as the worship team leads us in a song, we're just going to take some time and pray. If you're a part of the prayer team or one of the pastors or wives or, or deacons or wives, if you'd just come and be ready to pray for some people here today. Just take a moment and pray with us as we pray.